Let's go ahead and get started. If you'll turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19. And we're continuing our series on using the law lawfully, looking at Old Testament law to see if any of the Old Testament laws apply to us as modern day Gentile believers, and if so, how does it apply to us? All right, and we're starting to wind down, get toward the end, we're about halfway through the positive commandments. We already looked at all the, or halfway through the negative commandments, sorry, and already looked at all the positive commandments. And uh, the negative commandment list uh, is a little bit smaller and it's more it's, it's easier to compress because we've already talked about a lot of these when we were going through the positive commandments. And so a lot of the commands have both a positive and a negative. So sometimes the negative will be, thou shalt not do this. And the positive is, if someone does this, you punish them this way. Uh, and so the Jews separate the punishment as a positive command from the thou shalt not as the negative command. And when we came to the punishments, we just lumped in the negative command with it when we were studying. So we're going through the negative commands pretty quickly, uh, but we're going to look at a couple of things here that they're in the negative commands, but we're going to look at them as just general commands and general principles. So uh, first of all, we're going to look at rules for judges in the Old Testament. Let's look at Leviticus 19 and verse 15. Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. And so here are rules for judges given in the Old Testament. First thing we see is that the judges in Israel in the Old Testament were commanded to use righteous judgment. So we have the very first sentence there, ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. So everything that they did and their justice was to be righteous, which means is to line up with what is true and what is accurate and what is uh, uh, consistent with the Word of God. The next thing we can see about these judges in this same passage, they were also told not to be partial or to be impartial. Uh, Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. And we have both of those extremes there, respect for the person of the poor and honor the person of the mighty. Um, usually when you think of partiality and judgment, you think of the judgment being partial toward the rich person and you know, because the rich person can give him a reward. and So he's going to rule in favor of the rich person more likely than ruling in favor of the poor person. Uh, in America, we can see the opposite of that quite clearly, especially nowadays. A lot of judges are biased toward the poor person because they think, you know, oh, this poor person needs social justice done in their favor. They need the system is against these poor people, and so we need to punish the rich as much as we can so that these poor people can be brought up out of poverty by our social justice program. Uh, and so we see a lot of that in America today. They had that same problem in Israel. God said there's both problems: the problem of respecting the poor person improperly and respecting the rich person improperly. You're not supposed to do that as a judge. You're supposed to be fair and balanced and view them both impartially. We can see this again in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Let's turn over there. (coughs) 
Deuteronomy 1 and verse 16. This is Moses recounting his charge that he gave to the judges when he first appointed them. And I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously between every man and his brother, and the stranger that is with him. Ye shall not respect persons in judgment, that ye shall hear of man, or shall hear the small as well as the great. Ye shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's, and the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me, and I will hear it. So here again, not to respect the, any person in judgment, hear the small as well as the great, uh, and then not to be afraid of any man in their judgment, because the judgment is from God, if they're impartial and they hold to the truth. And so here we have, again, that they're going to be impartial as judges. Another thing that we can see, let's turn to Deuteronomy 16, another instruction given to judges, is that they were not to take any type of bribes. Deuteronomy 16 and verse 18. Judges and officers shalt thou make thee in all thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. <clears throat> thou shalt not rest judgment, thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift, for a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. Okay, and so they're forbidden from taking a gift in order to rule in a particular way. So our terminology that is they're forbidden from taking a bribe um, and then verse 20 that which is altogether just shalt thou follow that thou mayest live and inherit the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee so there's a, a little bit of a curse attached to this idea of having judges that accept bribes uh, and that are wicked judges and that is that they will not the whole nation will not be able to live excuse me very long in the land uh, that God promised them. And then let's turn over real quickly to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus 23, verse number 8. And we just have the same statement from Deuteronomy repeated here. And thou shalt take no gift, for the gift blindeth the wise and perverteth the words of the righteous. So again, Judges were forbidden from taking bribes. So we have three things that were commanded of judges in the Old Testament. First, they were to use righteous judgment, they were to be impartial, and they were to not accept any type of bribes in their judgments. That's the Old Testament command. Now, for a New Testament application, there's not really a direct application we've seen in the New Testament where God says, all judges are supposed to do this, just like I said in the Old Testament. Um, however, we can see from both the Old and the New Testament that these principles are universal laws that apply to judges of every nation. Let's start in Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, verse number 20. Isaiah 5, verse 20. Kids would definitely beat y'all in sword drills. <laughs> All right, Isaiah 520. 
Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And this is just a general woe against the people of any nation that do this kind of thing, that call evil good and good evil. And let's go to Proverbs, and we'll be mostly in Proverbs uh, for the rest of these principles here. So Proverbs chapter 17. And usually anything you find in the book of Proverbs is going to apply universally. It's not a book written just for Israel. It's a book of general Proverbs and general wisdom about the world. And we find in Proverbs 17 and verse 15, He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. And so we have unrighteous judgment here that is being condemned universals. Anyone that justifies the wicked and condemns the just is an abomination to the Lord. I turn over to Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24, verse number 24. He that saith unto the wicked, Thou art righteous, him shall the people curse, nations shall abhor him. So again, this unrighteous judgment is condemned uh, universally. It's not just applying to, to Israel. This is uh, him shall the people curse, nations shall abhor him. Not just the nation of Israel will abhor him. Nations shall abhor him. So anywhere in the world that is abhorrent. Uh, and then very quickly you have in the book of James chapter 5 and then we'll go back to Proverbs. James chapter 5 and verse 1, to begin with, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. That's how this chapter begins. And then he continues to talk about uh, condemnation of the, of the rich men of his day. Uh, and then in verse 6 he says, Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. So one of the condemnations that James brought against the rich men of his day were that they were condemning and killing the just. This is obviously New Testament and shows that this principle we see where unrighteous judgment is condemned in the Old Testament still applies in the New Testament. Uh, and then now let's turn back to Proverbs. We'll look at partiality being condemned also. Proverbs chapter 18. <clears throat> Proverbs 18 verse 5. It is not good to accept the person of the wicked to overthrow the righteous in judgment. And then Proverbs 24 and verse 23, similar statement there. These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. So again, partiality, respect for one person over another is not good. It's universally condemned. And then in Proverbs 28, verse 21, we can see that a judge taking a bribe is also universally condemned. Proverbs 28, verse 21, to have respect of persons is not good, for for a piece of bread that man will transgress. And so the type of judge that has respect for one person over another, if you provide for his bread, he'll transgress and break the law. So that's also seen as something that is condemned 
very strongly and universally in the book of Proverbs. Okay, so for the New Testament application here, we can see that all three of these commands that were given to the Old Testament judges, that they were to have righteous judgment, that they were to be impartial, and they were not to accept bribes, all of those are seen in the book of Proverbs and one of them in the book of James as being universal principles that apply to everyone, all nations, at all times. And so we would still be under those same laws for us as Americans. Our judges are just as accountable to God for righteous judgment as the judges of Israel were. Okay, so that's the <coughs> rules for judges. Any comments or questions on that one? All right, let's move on to rules for witnesses. Let's go to Exodus chapter 23 to begin with the Old Testament command. We have two rules that we're going to look at that were, uh, well, not necessarily two rules for witnesses, but two things about the witnesses in the Old Testament that we're going to look at. So the first thing is that Jewish witnesses were forbidden from giving false testimony. And then the next thing is that if they did give false testimony, then they were to receive the same punishment that they intended to be applied to the person that they were testifying against. Uh, so verse, first here in, in Exodus 23, verses 1 and 2, Thou shalt not raise a false report, put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil, neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to wrest judgment. So here we have instructions given to the witnesses. They're not to give a false report, and they're not to be an unrighteous witness. They're not to follow after the multitude. Just because it's popular, that doesn't mean you say the wrong thing or lie just because everyone wants you to. And then <clears throat> not to uh, rest judgment. That, that means to grab judgment away so that judgment can't be done because of your witness. And so that was the command to the witnesses in the Old Testament and under the Old Testament law. Now let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 16 and we can see the punishment for a false witness. Deuteronomy 19, verse 16, If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition. <coughs> and behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall you do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother. So shalt thou put the evil away from among you, and those which remain shall hear and fear, and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. And thine eye shall not pity, but life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Okay, and so here we have, if a false witness comes up in a murder trial, and his, he's proven to have given false witness in that murder trial, then he suffers the penalty of death. Because if the judges had believed his witness, the accused would have been put to death. And so therefore, the false witness in a murder trial carried a penalty of death. A false witness in 
a trial for theft carried the penalty of having to pay. And remember, God had a, a system of repayment for theft where you had to pay back the original amount that was stolen plus a, an additional penalty. Uh, and the penalty varied based on what kind of object it was that was stolen. It could be anywhere up to four times the uh, amount that the item originally was worth. <clears throat> and imagine if you had, you know, five or six people that were testifying falsely to this thing and it was proven, all five or six of those would have to pay that. So uh, you could end up, instead of hurting the person you're trying to hurt, actually being a huge benefit to him um, by all these false witnesses having to now pay what they were trying to take away from him back to him. Um, so, and there was to be no mercy. You could not have any mercy on a false witness. Thine eye shall not pity, in verse 21. Uh, there's no mercy whatsoever. If it's proven to be perjury and a false witness, then he has to suffer the punishment that he wanted to be wanted the other man to suffer. He can't say, oh, but the judge would have been lenient to this guy that was being accused. It doesn't matter. You get the maximum penalty for being a false witness. There's no mercy whatsoever. So that's the Old Testament command. Jewish witnesses were forbidden from giving false testimony, and then they were to receive the same punishment that they intended the other man to get if they were proven to be false witnesses. Okay, now for the New Testament, we can see this is, has a general application to us in the New Testament as well. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25. false witness is obviously someone who is speaking a lie. And so this would all fall under any of the prohibitions against lying in the Old Testament. <clears throat> but also in the New Testament, we see Ephesians 4.25, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So Christians are commanded to always speak the truth. Since we have that general command to always speak the truth, that would apply when we're on the witness stand and giving testimony in court. Uh, but it goes further than that. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 3. This is a list of uh, people who are wicked. It's about the men of the last days and how wicked and awful they are going to be. And in verse number three, we read, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers. And so here we have the, the false witnesses, those that are accusing someone falsely uh, in court. Those are listed among the people that are wicked and vile during the time of the last days. And then we can see in the book of Proverbs also that false witnesses are universally condemned. And let's go there, Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 19. <clears throat> Proverbs 6 verse 19. These are the six things, and then it's used a little uh, literary device here. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And uh, you can see in verse number 19, a false witness that speaketh lies 
and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Those are one of the things that are an abomination to God. He hates them. Right, so when God says he hates something, that it's an abomination to him, he doesn't mean it's only an abomination to him if the Jews do it. He means he hates it no matter who does it. And so that shows it to be a general principle. And then let's just turn over a couple of pages here. Proverbs 19. Or you can turn a couple of pages. I'll tap a couple of keys on my screen here. Proverbs 19 and verse number 5. A false witness shall not be unpunished. And he that speaketh lies shall not escape. And then jump down to verse number 9. A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall perish. And so here we have a promise from God himself that those who are false witnesses, even if they get away with it and they aren't punished by human courts, God is going to see to it that they are punished. And so God takes that very seriously. So it applies even to us under New Testament times as Gentile believers and not as Jews, we are still supposed to give uh, accurate and honest testimony whenever we are brought up in court and asked to testify. So we have the rules for witnesses and the rules for judges. Both of those uh, can be seen to apply to us as New Testament believers. That's it for today. Any comments or questions on either of those? So judge had to be Consistent. Could he be consistent, lenient, or inconsistent, or as long as he treated everybody the same, is he okay? Uh, yeah, I would say so. It's, as far as the leniency and, and the punishment, um, judges were given broad discretion in the Old Testament about leniency and some punishments, not all. Now, some things like for a murderer, they were never to be lenient for murder, and then for a false witness for perjury there never to be lenient on that and there were a couple others that were told you know thine eyes shall not pity that means you don't take any uh, you don't show any mercy full force of the law there's a couple of uh, types of sins and types of crimes that god said thine eyes shall not pity but for many of the others he allowed them broad leniency uh, and you can see that uh, one of the ways they say you're not to be lenient for murderers was to say that you're not to take satisfaction for the life of a man. Um, so meaning they're not to take mo monetary satisfaction. But for other crimes, they were allowed to accept monetary satisfaction instead of like the hand for hand, foot for foot. They didn't have to actually have their hand cut off. They could pay the cost of um, the hand, whatever the man said my hand is worth. They could pay that instead. A specific judge had to be consistent in the way he did that. Right. Yeah, he would have to be. He would be required to be consistent. Otherwise, he would be partial. And so yeah, he's having respect toward one class of people over another. So yeah, he was required to be consistent in his leniency. Yeah, that's a good point. Anything else? I think our, our nation maybe started off that way. I think the symbol for our justice system was uh, a figure with a blindfold on. Right. And the scales. Right. Yeah, justice uh, is blind yeah. was, was the slogan. Yeah, we have justices that legislate from the bench and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, put their po point of view forward and their sway. Yeah. You know, um, whatever direction, you know, their personal, their personal preference. 
yeah, our judges were, as a whole, were definitely better in the past than they are now. We've gotten more corrupt judges than we had back a, a century or two ago. However, <clears throat> I like to read old court cases and old court opinions, and there were some pretty corrupt judges yeah. in the past too. They just weren't as there weren't as many as there are today, but they were still there. Yeah. I mean, the man has always been evil. Yeah. All right, well, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Uh, Brother Parsons, can you pray for us? Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We 